man up here. I was in a service in South Africa with one of the biggest known preachers there, single lady. In fact, she was the head of intercession for the Reinhard Bonnke ministry. Wow. What was her name? Suzette Hotting. And uh, so I was so happy to be there. It was just in a church, about 200 of us there, and she couldn't get the mic working. And so there was a man that came up and he adjusted different things, and she said in her Afrikaans accent, you're the only man that's ever turned me on. <laughs> oh, Janet. And, you know, I think yeah. of that when Reuben comes up and does my technology. <laughs> yeah, well, I also thought it was quite horrific. But anyway, I'll share it with you. And we can all be family together. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now let's get into John 12. Don't you feel bad for me? that I have to teach after Joy Inslee did last week. Didn't you enjoy that? Yes, thank you, Joy. That was so rich. So Joy taught us out of the first part of John 12, where Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with spikenard and wiped his feet with her hair. She expressed extravagant, expensive worship. How often does our worship cost us? Let me bring it home a little bit. How often do we pay a price when we're in a, a big basketball stadium and the music is louder than we would prefer? The songs might be different than we would prefer. We might not have gotten the seat that we wanted. We might not be with the people we wanted, but we still worship with all of our hearts, right? The songs are new, the music is loud. Maybe the clothes on the stage are different than we're used to. And it's a sacrifice of worship. It's a sacrifice of praise. That's probably the smallest sacrifice we'll ever pay because there'll be more expensive sacrifices in the future as we worship the Lord, no matter what happens to us. Those that are being persecuted for their faith, many of them worshiping the Lord, expensive, extravagant worship. That's what Mary expressed that day. In verses 9 through 11, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus because many people believed in Jesus as a result of him raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to begin reading now from verse 12. The next day, so all this happened, and now the very next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, this is the feast of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Let's jump down to verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them and saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
So these Greeks were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. They went to Philip and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now in Greek, this is highlighted, which means they said there's really no one else we want to see. We only want to see Jesus. Can you get us to Jesus? Because that's the only one that we have really come here to see. And when Philip and Andrew told Jesus, his response was, it's time for me to be glorified. And then he began to teach them the principle that first death must come before life can come. Jesus often gave spiritual principles rather than direct answers. Doesn't that kind of drive you crazy sometimes? You read what they ask him, you're looking for a direct answer as they did, and he comes out with a spiritual principle. So that's what he did here. Let's read 23 through 25. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So why did Jesus talk about death and life when they said, there are some men who wish to see you? Well, to paraphrase his words, Jesus said, my death and glorification are at hand. This is the only way that life can come to others. And the same is true for all. Those who cling to their lives will lose them. And those who give up their lives in this world will gain eternal life. And he seemed to imply, Philip and Andrew, not only is it my time to die, it's also your time to die to yourselves so that you can reflect me. When people come to you in the future wanting to see me, let them see me in you. He says the same thing to us today. Many people around us desperately need to see Jesus. And whether they know that's what they're looking for or not, that's what they're looking for. They need Jesus. And as his representatives, we are responsible to show Jesus to them. If we will die to self and live for God and prefer others, esteeming others as better than ourselves, as we're told in Philippians, then they will see him in us. To die to self, this is just a simple definition, is to embrace what is not comfortable for me so that Jesus may be seen and glorified in me. Embracing what is not comfortable for me so that Jesus may be seen and glorified in me. A couple of days ago, I hit my shin on something. You know how sensitive your shin is because there's no fat there, it's just bone. And it reminded me of the story we heard years ago when in a, a Russian um, prison where they were putting believers and other political dissidents and other people that they, they put in that prison, when they brought in a new prisoner, they would lay him on the ground, on his back, and one of the heavier soldiers would get on metal poles and stand on them and roll back and forth on his shins to break all the skin, to bruise all the bone, to do as much damage as possible. That was their initiation into the prison. And the believers would raise their hands and say, let me take his punishment. Let me take that. And they called the believers the crazy people because they would volunteer 
for that type of torture. That's extremely embracing what is not comfortable to me so that Jesus may be seen and glorified in me. The other prisoners saw Jesus in those believers that would take someone else's punishment. So we, will we preserve our lives or will we die to self and produce eternal fruit for God's glory? 2 Corinthians 4, 11 and 12 says, We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now that should be all of our testimony. Death is working in us as we die to self. We become more like Jesus. We're reflecting him to the world around us and life is working in others. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground or the earth and dies, it remains alone. It's just one grain. It's never more one grain that dies alone. But if it dies, it will produce much grain and yield a harvest. In verse 25, he said, Those who love and protect their lives will lose them. Those who hate their lives in this world in comparison with their love for God will preserve them eternally. If our top priority is preserving ourselves, then we'll lose our lives. Verse 26, let's read that. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Uh, we were, Reuben just got a text. We were in a, um, a church years ago serving there for a season in Illinois, and the pastor there gave us a thank you gift, and it's the Discovery Bible. I think it's NASB version. But in the Discovery Bible, it gives you all the Greek-like uh, meanings. What's highlighted, what's the continual present, what's the past, what's the extensive past, you know, all kinds of different things. So I got out this Bible as I was preparing for this. And this is what it says in Greek. This is what this, this verse would say. Jesus said, if anyone serves me continually as a habit, continual present, serves me, serves me, over and over, every day, all day, continually serving me. Let him be committed to following me. And where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone continually serves me, my Father will honor him. Man, there are amazing promises in this one verse. If we will continually serve Jesus, if we will continually be dedicated to following him, we will be with him now. We'll experience his presence now and his, the companionship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. And God the Father will honor us. I mean, can you imagine that? The omnipotent God, the king of the universe, he will honor us because we choose to serve and follow the master. Let's read verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. <clears throat> And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
So Jesus said his soul was troubled, his soul was agitated, it was anxious. He knew he was born for that hour, which meant that place and at that time. We are also born for this hour, this place and this time. And in the midst of that, what he said, would I ask, Father, save me from this? No, this is the purpose I came here. His purpose was to suffer and die for the salvation of others. And if Jesus had saved himself, none of us could have been saved. No one could have been saved. When we're going through a very hard time, do we beg to be delivered? Do we beg to be rescued, saved from suffering? Or do we say, Father, glorify yourself, glorify your name? You know, there are times we ask for rescue, just as the psalmist did. Many times the psalm writers would ask for rescue and deliverance. But there are other times that we just lean hard onto God, trusting that he will sustain us, that he'll be glorified in us, and he'll enable us to endure our circumstances. I was talking with one of our elderly saints recently. She lives with excruciating pain. And as we were talking, I said, I want to pray for you. <clears throat> I want to pray that the Lord will, will comfort you and sustain you. I'm not sure if I should pray with you for healing. What has God said to you about your healing? And she said, he told me years ago, this is, he is not going to heal me. He is going to sustain me. So if you would pray for me for him to continue sustaining me, that's my prayer. She wasn't praying for rescue out of it and actually resisted my praying for her to be healed and rescued. She just wants God to be glorified. And you know, that's, that's really a higher place in the Lord that we're not always saying, Lord, rescue me out of this. Lord, comfort me in the midst of this. Lord, get me out of this suffering. Lord, heal me, set me free. Don't let me walk down this path. Lord, deliver me. Sometimes we need to pray, glorify your name right where I am, right in these circumstances. Just be glorified, Jesus. So when contemplating his suffering and death, Jesus' prayer was not for rescue. It was not for comfort. It wasn't for shielding for pain. It wasn't even for the camaraderie of his disciples. He didn't say, Father, keep them with me. Keep my guys close. He didn't even pray for that. It was for his Father to be glorified. So in John 12, in this whole chapter, we read the Lord's last words to the general public until his trial. And I just want to pick up two thoughts from some of these verses. One of them is to, or the call that we all have to walk in the light. And second, the temptation to fear man and please people rather than to please God. So let's go to verses 35 and 36. Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. All right, let's stop there. So walk in the light, lest darkness overtake you. Of course, darkness is evil. It's sin, depravity. He says, walk in the light so that darkness won't overcome you. It won't get an inroad into your life. We have to purposefully walk in the light. That means purposefully be accountable to others. Purposefully confess our sin before God. We stay walking in the light. We choose every day to walk in the light. 
to make sure darkness, depravity, sin, evil doesn't overtake us. And then in verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light unto the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness, in sin, in evil. I've come so that no one has to abide in evil. What a blessing for us that Jesus came that we would not have to live in and be a part of the evil and the darkness around us in this world. He came to deliver us from darkness. Flip over with me to Matthew chapter 5. Let's read verses 14 to 16. Also about the light. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus was saying to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're not to hide or limit our light. That means it's to give light to everyone in the house, to everybody. Not just to your family, not just to your loved ones. Everyone should see the light of Jesus upon you, upon us. It's not the lampstand that's important. The lampstand is the vessel. It's the light that's important. We are the vessels. We aren't the important ones. Jesus is the light within us. And our good works should point to the Father and glorify Him. They should not glorify us. They should always glorify the Father. Our light should... should should so you know i practiced this at home because it was so hard for me to say our light should so shine that others are convicted because they see jesus in us our lives should reveal what's missing in their lives our mercy should convict them of their lack of mercy our kindness should expose their selfishness our purity our peace our joy should convict others of their compromise our hope should reveal their hopelessness and their need for Jesus. We must live such holy lives so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. Let's not be like Philip, who went to Andrew and said, they want to see Jesus, now what do we do? We should be like the Apostle Paul, who said, if you want to see the Lord, look at me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. Starting in verse 8, chapter 5, Ephesians. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay, so if we're walking as children of light, we're walking in the light, this will be part of our testimony. All goodness, all righteousness, all truth. The word truth also means faithfulness in Scripture. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them or reprove them. So he says in verse 5, you were once darkness, now you are light. Not you had some darkness, now you have some light. You were, 
and now you are. This is who you are. This is your identity. Your basic nature has changed. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're new creatures in Christ. So we were darkness. Now we are light. Believing what God says about us doesn't make it true. It is true. So we believe it. What we do does not determine who we are. Who we are determines what we do. We are light. We are in Christ. So that determines that we walk in righteousness, goodness, and truth. Believing God's truth about our identity will free us to be who He says we are. If we believe that we're part saint and part sinner, part light and part darkness, then we will live carnal, unfruitful lives. We'll give in to the weaker side. What we believe about our identity in Jesus is critical at all ages. Let's go back to John 12. John 12, we're going to pick it up with verses 42 and 43. Talk about fearing God rather than fearing people. 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So many believed in him, but they did not confess him openly for fear of man. Do you know there are rabbis today? I heard this was even a few years ago. There are at least 40 rabbis back then and probably more now that already believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They know he's the Messiah, but they will not yet confess him openly before men. They say the time isn't right. They might, be tr- they might be right. They also don't want to lose their position as rabbis and as leaders in their communities. They don't want to be rejected by their families, their friends. And before we judge them, let's look at ourselves. Do we believe in Jesus, but do we fail to confess him before men? Do our words and actions line up with our faith? Do our family members and friends see Jesus in us? Do we confess him before them in word, in action, in attitude, in response? Some believers love the Lord. They want to please him, but they fear man's approval. They will compromise their conscience to please others. Let me say that again, because I think that's possible that we could be tempted to do the very same thing. They will compromise their conscience to please others. They fear criticism, disapproval, rejection. They fear what people will think or say. So they let people control them, manipulate them. They're at risk of forfeiting their destiny. This morning I was reading 1 Samuel 15. You recognize that chapter as when Samuel went to King Saul and he said, God says you need to go kill the Amalekites, kill all of them. Men, women, children, infants, kill all their animals, kill everything. Don't take anything of theirs. It was was such a perverted, evil society, he said, just wipe them all out. So what did Saul do? He gets a whole group of soldiers. They go in, they kill the Amalekites, but they kept the king. They didn't kill the king. And they didn't kill all the animals. They kept the animals. And they took some of the plunder. 
And so later, Samuel went to Saul and said, why didn't you obey the Lord? Why didn't you? And he said, I did. I did obey the Lord. And he said, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Why do I hear the animals? He didn't kill all the animals. And he said, well, I, I, I obeyed the Lord, but it's the people. The people wanted the animals. The people chose not to obey. But see, he was the king. He should have told the people. So what Sam, Samuel said to him is to obey is better than sacrifice. Because he said they kept the animals so they could sacrifice to God. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. And then he said, because you've disobeyed the Lord, today this kingdom is ripped out of your hands. Saul forfeited his kingdom because of disobedience, because he feared the people. You know, we're at the same risk. We all have a high calling on our lives. We have a calling to be light and salt in the world we're in. We've got various different personalized callings God has given us. Let's not sacrifice our calling. Let's not forfeit our destiny because of fear of man, because we're afraid to speak up, because we're afraid to confess him before men. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was not a people pleaser. As Joy mentioned last week, she let her hair down to dry Jesus' feet with it, something not done by proper women. She didn't care if they criticized her. She risked their rejection and disapproval to minister to Jesus. She did not let people dictate to her. Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 10, Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I could not be a bondservant of Christ. Same is true for us. We try to please men. We cannot be a bondservant of Christ. We must please Jesus first. Hopefully we'll still please some of the people, especially in the church. But our first priority is to please the Lord. Now look at verse 37, John 12, 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. In Greek it says, although he had done sign after sign after sign in front of them, they continued to walk in unbelief and disobedience and more unbelief, they did not believe in him. I pray none of us will be guilty of that. We've all seen God do a lot of things, right? You look back over your life, you've seen the Lord do things in your life, the lives of your family, miracles, healings, salvations of people you thought would never be saved. I mean, you've seen the Lord do so many different things. He's proven himself to us over and over again. Let's believe his word and let's trust him fully. Let's be faithful to him. Uh, when I went to university, I started out at Oral Roberts University. My sister was there, my older sister. And we got together for a, quite a long season of time. Every week, we would get together one evening, and we'd pray for all of our family members, all of our cousins, all of our aunts and uncles. We'd pray for all of them to be saved because a lot of them weren't walking with the Lord. And uh, I think as she graduated, moved on, and I, I continued in university, I continued to pray for all of our family members. I hope y'all are doing that for your family members. Keep praying for them. 
So we had one uncle that was an alcoholic, didn't have anything to do with God, but we kept praying that he would get saved and that God would surround him with believers where he just had to hear the gospel. He would just be surrounded by believers. He was an architect. We knew he worked in, you know, with big buildings. Probably, unless God orchestrated it, he might not be around too many believers. But we prayed. God would surround him with believers. So one day we heard, years later, we heard he was flying from Virginia Beach. Virginia was flying back to Texas. And everyone on the airplane was a believer. They were all from CBN. They were all believers. <laughs> except him and man he kept drinking alcohol after alcohol because they're all singing they're talking they're all talking about jesus he was surrounded by these believers god can do anything he can orchestrate anything he can answer our prayers in in amazing ways let's keep praying let's keep claiming the promises let's stand in faith so in john 12 uh, joy said kind of the same thing uh, a new day was dawning because Jesus was bringing to an end his public ministry. He'd been preaching and teaching the multitudes for three years. He had spent most of his time the last year and a half with his disciples. But he was still involved with the multitudes and with other people. And then at this chapter, he begins the switch. He is addressing the public for the last time. He was doing his final training with his men. He begins the next chapter in John 13. They would later be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would be sent out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And so he's going to do this last bit of training with them. He was about to die, rise again, and glorify God. And they were being called to live their lives for God's glory. And we are called to do the same. That was their season. Philip and Andrew don't ask, what do we do now? When people come to you and say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. You be the one to show Jesus to them. That is our role now. We are the ones to show Jesus to the people around us who desperately need to see him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the anointing that's on your scripture that your word is powerful, active, it's alive. It can separate between our souls and our spirits. It goes deep into us. I pray, Lord, that you would firmly implant your word into our hearts, that it would bear lasting fruit in each one of our lives, that we would live it. We would not just hear it, we would live your word. Lord, I pray that we and those we love would walk in the light, be obedient to all of your will, and not forfeit our destiny in you. Lord, we, we so do not want to see you have to take away from us the calling and the destiny you have for us. And we so don't want to see that happen for our family members, our siblings, children, grandchildren, parents. So Lord, I pray keeping power, the keeping power of God, the... Um, surrounding power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those we love. May we all prove ourselves faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the next almost 15 minutes,
please share at your tables. What did you hear today that stood out to you? What did you hear that the Holy Spirit said to you or said in general to us as the body of Christ? Let's share that. And then if there's time also, can you just pray with one another? Next week, we'll be looking at John 13. Please read that in advance.